Has anybody got any questions they'd like to ask? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I said put your hands up, I meant the little thing on the on the screen. <laughs> but if, as you've all done it at once, uh, Chris. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, my question is, John, why is it you think that governments keep repeating the same mistakes over and over? It's because uh, what they want is to be told things that will get them votes. And um, Keynesian economics told them a way that they could get votes by spending money and not taxing people. There was a downside to Keynesian economics because there was uh, Keynes wanted you to run budget deficits and budget surpluses uh, and budget surpluses are no good for votes. We like budget deficits. So Keynesians came along and said, no, no, you can go with bigger budget deficits and smaller budget deficits. And that's what politicians want to hear, except it, when it falls apart, they want to sort of distance themselves. But they really need people to tell them things that will get them votes. And that's where modern monetary theory is now telling them things that uh, they can spend more money without doing anything. If they do what I tell them, then they've got to balance their budget. So straight away, I need taxes to come up and I need government spending to go down. And I need interest rates, bank rates, I need up by at least 2% above the inflation rate. I go up to 4% now. Imagine what that's going to do. Uh, this sort of rebalancing of the economy. No politician would want to listen to that. That's actually what you've got to do if you want to get out of the problems that we're in. But we will just continue with the problems because politicians are going to ignore. You know, I'm way out. You know, I'm, I'm far, far right, uh, way out of centre field. And remember, all politicians are slightly centre left. So um, that's it. They wouldn't listen to me. But uh, you know, academics will listen and argue. So that's the area the only area i think where we'll be able to move forward but as a political party it's going to be very difficult to support the sort of arguments that i've given you and think that anyone will will listen to you because you're not telling people what didn't, didn't thatcher when when thatcher took over uh, in 79 yeah she kind of took the catastrophe that was the 70s yeah and uh, effectively moved then towards free market uh, economics as best yeah. she could within the limit she was imposed on yeah uh, and she was the most successful prime minister for a generation yeah so i i don't understand why politicians don't see mrs thatcher's success with those types of policies and then try to emulate them because it seemed you know she had three three general election victories and why why wouldn't a group of politicians want to emulate three general election victories by following similar policies. Yeah, something preceded Mrs. Thatcher, uh, which actually helped her a great deal. And that was that we ran out of money. Uh, I don't, Dennis Healy, I don't know if you remember him rushing yeah. back from uh, uh, the airport yeah. because we'd run out of money. And we needed to borrow money from the IMF. And the IMF mm -hmm. said, you've got to cut your budget deficit. And we halved it to get this money. Now, politicians could say, we don't want to do this. Someone is forcing us to do this. Oh. Uh, and that was the start of an improvement. So actually, it was Callaghan and, uh, and Healy that got things moving in the right direction. Margaret Thatcher took over, tried to sort of follow monetarist ideals, did it a little bit. The good thing she did was go into free markets, yeah. fight the unions, 
Uh, and uh, probably the only reason she got a second term, unfortunately, was the Falklands. Okay, boy, yeah. By her second terms, things were looking better. And I will say she's been the best prime minister for the last hundred years. Not that that means much in terms of all the prime ministers, but certainly she was the best uh, of that time. But you have to see what she did within the context of some other things that were around her that actually helped her at the time. Thank you. Peter. Um, it's just kind of, um, so, uh, sorry if I sound like a bit too much like a layman, because obviously I'm not like economically, um, yeah, like completely economically at all. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was just wondering, like, um, I've been looking at like, kind of, for example, especially within like, within like, within our party about <clears throat> how we could maybe like, kind of like approach tax moving forward. And I don't think you obviously haven't really got the time now, no. I think, to fully go into it. But I was wondering if, because, for example, I think we stand on the idea that, for example, an income tax is morally wrong. Yeah. Because obviously it's a tax on, on a man's own production or like a woman's yeah. own production. Yeah. So I don't think like, because I, I think you said something about a reverse income yeah. tax, which I yeah. presume is similar in a way to for example Friedman's negative income tax correct yeah correct yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just wondering on if you could maybe say something sh like so a couple of short uh, maybe like something short about it or maybe if you get the time you could maybe put something that like together on a land value tax as yeah. opposed to an income tax and how okay. that might potentially be worse or better yeah I'll tell you straight away <laughs> worse um oh, okay yeah, what you want to, what you want as far as taxes are concerned, is uh, income taxes, uh, value-added tax, excise duty, nothing else. So I wouldn't have any corporate taxes. I wouldn't have any business taxes. I'd have nothing other than income taxes, and I'd have three bands. That's the reverse income tax band, and then two, you know, perhaps fifteen percent and twenty-five percent at uh, um, various levels of uh, of income. Uh, I would have VAT as a source of income and I would add excise duties so I could add a little bit more to VAT to deal with those items that one might judge to be demerit goods like gambling uh, or uh, smoking, uh, where you could just add that little bit more on or where there's a damaging effect on the environment or whatever. But I would do it all. If you start taxing wealth and land taxes are a tax on wealth, you immediately destroy the source of the income and the thing to do is always think of wealth as like a lake uh, if you start taking water out of it it's eventually empty whereas you think of it in income as a stream it's flowing by all the time and if you can take a little bit of that away there's always more coming behind so the sensible sustainable long-term taxation policy as i see it uh, and it would still fit in with your principles uh, as a party which is to do minimal taxation if you like effectively uh, tax is is to tax income and to tax spending and at the end of the day forget about wealth taxes uh, i mean who wants to be living in a great big castle with all those heating bills and everything else you know it's, it's a real headache having loads of money um, so I, I would not bother with a wealth tax at all and uh, land value taxes work a little bit through local authorities so local authorities might want to sort of tax people in terms of their properties so there is a little bit of that around oh, and 
sorry, just to jump in, like yeah, yeah and what I what I've been looking at recently is um I mean obviously you will know, but you know the Henry George, uh, the Georges, the the that, uh, that that school of thought, um, and it was based on the idea that you do not tax any improvements that someone for example makes on their land like what they do with that land is entirely up to them and you cannot touch that yeah. you simply charge them as a for example a community um to hold that land to then do with as they please or or, or, or is that what you're talking about am i just not understanding no what i'm really saying is what happens rather than what i would like to see happen um ah, okay. uh, i'm as I say, I'm quite happy for all taxes just to fit into this uh, category, if you like, which doesn't look damaging to the economy. For example, one of the difficult things I have is to explain to people that if you bring corporation tax down to zero, you will increase tax revenues enormously. And everyone goes, well, how can you do that? There's no, is taxes zero? And of course, how you do that is if we do that first, we'll be attracting loads of firms to come to Britain. It'll expand employment. People will be paying more taxes. There'll be more spending taxes. Corporation tax doesn't raise uh, much in the way of income relative to, you know, the big ones, uh, spending tax, uh, VAT, excise duties, and uh, income tax so i just stick with those and i and we would we would fly it as a country but of course again not good politics because yeah. politics you want to find people uh, sorry find sources of revenue that aren't people because people do the voting so i want to tax people who don't quite see it as them paying it um uh, that's that's the problem so uh sorry i've given you something else to think about but again it no, is, no, no 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 absolutely it is it is on the blog as well in in various yeah. ways that you can listen to if you wish i certainly will thank you very very much thanks john okay adam um just near the end there you mentioned that interest rates will eventually have to rise um but as soon as interest rates rise then all of these companies that are sustained through the extra liquidity that's created, yeah. then we're going to have to face that inevitable crash. Um, yeah. And do you think they're ever actually going to allow rates to rise again um, and take that hit? Because obviously we've just had all of these lockdowns and whatnot. We've had like a year of sort of economic suspension. There's a lot of companies that should really be going under, but they're just sustained by this zero rate. Yeah. And then if we get out the backside of these lockdowns and whatnot, and then they allow rates to rise, then we're just straight back into another crash. But if they don't allow rates to rise, then we continue to run prices up and yeah. create bigger asset bubbles and whatnot. So which course do we take? Good. Well, uh, yeah, good question, because uh, I uh, argued and the Bank of England was, was, was going along with me for a short period of time uh, back around to 12, 13, 14 that interest rates have got to go up fairly quickly to rebalance the economy and they even said uh, they would put them up but no country could do it on their own and I was actually at the Bank of England uh, with Draghi um, and, uh, and Carney and I tried to suggest that central banks should all raise interest rates together and then there would be no hit on the foreign exchange rate uh, so they should all talk about quarter point movements every two months or something. And the Forex rate will remain stable. One country does it on its own 
and uh, you're going to get volatile uh, exchange rates. Now, what Rishi Sunak is relying on is that they will have negative rates of interest for quite a two, three, four years, but they're negative real rates of interest. They're not going to be negative nominal rates of interest. So all that means is that as inflation picks up, so uh, suppose we get inflation towards the middle of next year at uh, seven or eight percent, that will raise nominal bank rate, central banks say we've got to put interest rates up to get this inflation under control and it'll go up to one percent, two percent, three percent, the nominal rate. And then you can stop the inflation continuing by not printing uh, more uh, excess money. And so the inflation will come down and the interest rates will be up. It's very rare that we actually ever have um, positive interest rates. Uh, if you look, there's probably a period between 97 and 2006 where there were positive interest rates. Go back to the 70s, you had inflation at nearly 30%. At that time, you had a bank rate, which was 14.75%. Uh, so it was still negative terms of almost 15%. Uh, interest rates were still negative. So I don't think any central bank is brave enough to sit on a period of time like now when inflation is around one or two percent and say um oh, we're going to raise that but when inflation starts to go up three four five six percent they're going to say we've got to put interest rates up so the nominal rate will get pulled up by the inflation and uh then we might get them reversing when the inflation goes out of it so that's the that's a deception it's a, it's a way of trying to get over this problem uh, and and sort of pass pass the buck to someone else say it's someone else's fault so there will be a crash unfortunately because as soon as you put up nominal interest rates that has real effects because if you've got a mortgage and your mortgage was originally a nominal rate of one and a half percent it'll now be a nominal rate of four percent or five yeah. percent uh, so it'll hit you uh, as a person with a mortgage and it will hit lots of people and that will disturb because what you've done is you've distorted markets so much that undistorting them is going to cause problems. And I suppose with the monetarists, Friedman and Hayek had sort of two views about this. Hayek was go for the big bust, get it all over with and then you recover. Friedman goes, no, let's do it steadily year after year. But of course, politicians lose their nerve if you do that. And it was like... Um, in back in 2010 we're going to balance our budget in 2014 no we're not 2015 no 2017 no 2020 oh no 2025 no you never do it if you try and spread it out over a slow period sorry it's a long, long answer i'll i'll shut up and let, uh, let <laughs> someone okay daniel uh, yeah so you mentioned that we shouldn't be taxing wealth so would that mean you'd, you'd get rid of a uh, capital gains tax and inheritance tax yeah, <laughs> that's the easy answer, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I, I see. I don't see um, any good that comes out of inheritance tax. If people have made lots of money, become rich, uh, let them pass it on to their children. I have no problems uh, uh, with them doing that. Uh, inheritance tax is a real damage if, if it's a business you're passing on to the next generation so uh you know i want everyone to become wealthy i don't want to sort of tax uh, people capital gains tax there, there isn't much capital gains tax to pay if you've got inflation under control 
if you let inflation run wild, then of course capital gains tax becomes something that uh, uh, people are actually fraudulent, fraudulent having money taken away from them because the changes aren't real. They're inflationary changes. And it's like going back to income tax, Sunak at the moment has said, we won't raise the tax thresholds for the next few years which means as inflation pulls up incomes and you go into the next tax thresholds, you pay more tax. Uh, it's just a nice cheating way of getting people to pay more tax without them, uh, without actually saying that we're doing it. Um, so yes, in my ideal world, I wouldn't have inheritance tax. And as I say, I don't mind rich people. I think they inspire other people to go, yeah, I'd like to become rich. How did you do that? Um, and I have absolutely no doubt, another article on my blog, that capitalism, free market actually creates income equality, not inequality. Things like socialism and communism are what create inequalities. Capitalism creates equality and you, the, the evidence is there, but we, we don't like to, to sort of recognize that because we think no governments can do all this. They can create equality. They can't. Capitalism can do that for you. Free markets can do that for you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Adam, you've got a, a comeback. <laughs> yeah, um, not so much comeback, but um, we agree the, the crash will be inevitable, it will come. Um, but on the back side of that, they're just do exactly the same thing again. They continue to create, with continue with credit expansion to stimulate the economy um, so that we have all of the growth figures, but they're just like misallocated resources and whatnot and we just go back into this other next cycle of, of credit expansion and you know that again that ties into what you just said about inequality as well because there's certain groups in the economy that are getting this extra liquidity so the first yeah. receivers of the money yeah. um, have additional purchasing power and they're at an advantage to the, to the later receivers of it so yeah. we just continue in this perpetual cycle and there's this cynicism of this is capitalism and this is what it does when that's, that's not right. what capitalism is. So it's, it's, how do we not, get away from that? Right, it's not capitalism, it's crony capitalism that you're talking about. Uh, and you're quite right, it will keep happening again and again until someone stands up there and says something about this. Now, this is what a new political party could do, of course, because uh, people are going to get fed up. They're going, this doesn't work, you're doing that. Young people are gonna say, look, you're shifting the burden of these things to us. We don't really want this to happen. Um, and you know, perhaps a party sitting there ready to jump in and go, this is the way forward. You know, We've got the strategy, this is what we need to do. And then you've got to sell it to people. You've got to say that this is the way economies should be managed. And we trust, if you like, um, markets, we trust capitalism. And what you need to do as a political party is produce that level playing field of stability. And that's where I would go for forcing politicians to balance their budget. So they really tell people, if we want to spend this money, this is where we're going to have to get it from. Um, and not go, now we can put off the day that we pay for this by just sort of borrowing it and, uh, and then going through the printing process because borrowing doesn't necessarily lead to printing borrowing leads to printing when governments decide that uh, they can't finance the debt as now and the Bank of England will be instructed to buy back uh, some debt and uh, again you can read uh, 
all about that. Uh, and there's a nice one for you to read if anyone's interested in inflation because we measure it totally incorrectly. RPI is the best measure, CPI isn't. Uh, there's a, an article where I explain why uh, they took over CPI rather than RPI. Uh, what's wrong with it? Uh, and you want to get back to real measures, telling people the truth about things, and then you'll start to solve problems. Telling the truth, that's radical. It is, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that's why no one listens to me. I do really try and get the truth of all of these things. We've lost Kevin. Has he um, disappeared? It's collapsed. Somebody said Peter wanted to ask a question. Oh, um, I think Ryan wants to ask one first. Oh, Ryan. Thank you, Peter. Um, so, I mean, I'm not the greatest person to speak about uh, economics. I know barely anything, but I know a lot of people in my generation think highly of UBI, you know, Universal Basic Income. Yeah. And um, well, my question would be, do you think it's a good idea if, uh, if I assume your answer is no, how would you persuade someone that it might not be the best idea to like come up with in this uh, yeah. era? Good, right. It's not a good idea. You're quite right. It's not a good idea. And there is another alternative, which is the best alternative. And it, you can read this one on my blog. Uh, it's reverse income tax. Because what do you want? You want to protect people who are poor and low of income. And you can do that through reverse income tax. Universal basic income is great for voters because you say everyone gets this. Whereas reverse income tax just helps the people that really need the help. And with reverse income tax, the reason it won't happen is because it gets rid of the welfare state almost. It says to people, uh, here's the money uh, that you haven't earned. And it gives you just those people. I'll tell you very quickly how it works. Suppose you start paying tax at £20,000. For every pound you don't earn, you get 50p. So if you earn absolutely nothing, you get £10,000. If you earn £5,000, you then only get 15,050p's. Uh, so you will only ever get a proportion of the £20,000, but everyone's entitled to that, but only those people who need it get it. So you could think of it as being a pension. It could be a state pension, because if you're not working, you can claim this. It could be a student grant, because as a student, you can claim this if you're not working, and so on. Uh, it's very efficient because it requires only a tax system to run it. Nobody has incentive to cheat on this system, because you can always be better off if you just do a little work and claim the reverse income tax. Whereas you do find yourselves in a position now where if you take welfare benefits, you're actually discouraged from doing any work because you lose a pound for every pound you earn. In other words, the implied tax rate for you is 100% or more. So if you want, you know, the answer is we agree, we need something that protects poor people and people with no incomes. That is reverse income tax. It is not universal basic income. Universal basic income, the universal words, the giveaway here. It's great for vote because everyone can have this. Um, no, they can't. 
only those people who need it can have it and reverse income tax identifies those people who need it so if you read about that one i think it's uh, uh it's under a picture of my family sitting with john lennon in cuba uh, as in john lennon's statue in cuba and it says imagine a reverse income tax you remember imagine by john lennon i trust uh, so yeah uh, i'm going to be i all right okay sorry did oh, i you got um, cut off my internet went down <laughs> oh right yeah we can't see you but you're back so i got cut off from that yeah um i'm, I'm actually on my mobile i'm, I'm hot spotting from my mobile at the moment because my internet wouldn't restart right um i th is there any more questions or are we okay to say hold on i think i've got is that evelyn's got a question yeah right we'll make this the last one Hi. and then Hi. we'll call it night after evelyn's question yeah, far away. Um, yeah, that was all very interesting. I just like to put a bit, a bit of a layer around what you said. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking outside the box in the sense of the globalists and what they want, yeah. and how they've infiltrated globally every nation. Yeah. So for me, just my take on this: climate change is a big one. Yeah. Um, so they're using. I won't say all the other things they use but climate change is a good example we're all caught in this climate change to me nonsense yeah. because you know really the game is control so how do we survive this is it possible is there enough people understanding uh what the globalists are playing at and and, and how can you and your ideas and and what we're talking survive yeah i mean That's I yeah, good, good question. <laughs> Again, on the blog, there's a, a little article called uh, Pandemic 2020, Look Back in Anger, where I explain uh, what things are going to be like into the future and the big mistake. I'm uh, against a lot of the things uh, uh, that have gone on under this sort of global attempt to control people. There are certain things that are international. Climate change is something that is international. And so I not only want um, governments to deal with domestic economies, we do need a sort of international body that is respected to try and look at issues with regard to climate change. And again, it needs to be experts of all opinion discussing and sorting things out, not like a SAGE committee that says, we are the experts, shut up all you other experts, uh, we'll do what we say, you don't want that. But, you know, something like the rainforest, shall we say, the Amazon rainforest. If we think that the Amazon rainforest is very important to provide uh, air and uh, uh, for the planet, uh, then it's a good thing to say, well, we need to provide Brazil with money for every tree they don't cut down. Um, and, and, and sort of almost an international income tax, which, which goes around the world and deals with these sort of problems. So there are international problems, which I think would be better dealt with through an international body, not individual countries saying, no, we're gonna do all these wonderful things uh, as Boris does, and no one else takes any notice. We take a hit and no one else does. Um, so yeah, I'm against, because I'm for capitalism, I'm against government controls, except in a very minimal way. So I set out again, uh, in my work exactly what governments should do uh, what they shouldn't do 
uh, and I would own, they're spending about 45 to 50% of your national income now. I'd have them down at less than 25% and limit them. Uh, and internationally, I would have international courts and I would have an international setup which could deal with international problems, which are often those associated with pollution, plastic, um, uh, and uh, climate change. But we need a good debate about it because I'm not convinced climate change is as bad as people say and as an economist i like everything to be costed and benefited uh, and if there are very low costs and big benefits go for it if there are very high costs and hardly any benefits don't do it if thank you um i'm sorry to put the spanner in the works but let's just talk about covid and that's a yep. global thing we all know how it started or we all think we know so yep. here we are being controlled so i'm talking about this type of control um, which they're all the Bilderbergers, etc. We all know who it is. Is no. is is, uh, is so we're all in these masks, and then we're told really the masks don't work. Well, no. it, it's just how will nation states fight this? And I, and I hear what you just said, and that's really good. The idea that we'll have these courts, but the the problem we all have, or I have, looking at it, is the no. corruption is overwhelming. Yeah. And there are such rich and powerful, and I won't go on because there's a lot more I could say. So it's nice to hear. It's nice to see a lot of young people here really interested. And what and what I'm hearing, I, I, I really like. But thank you for what you said. And I'm always putting a spanner in, but never mind. Yeah, that, that's fine, because, uh, you know, if you want to push me on that one, that would have to be another talk. But I'm all for herd immunity. I'm all for having the Coronavirus Act repealed. I'm all for having no lockdowns. I, I, I put an idea forward for two weeks of lockdowns back last March where they could get out and fill all the potholes in the road because I cycle quite a lot and that, that's it. Uh, but no, I don't see that there's any need uh, for lockdowns. Uh, I see a system where, and it's quite easy because people receive shielding letters if they're vulnerable. No one else is vulnerable, but there are some people. They receive a shielding letter, person who receives a shielding letter should be able to access furlough. So uh, they, they go to their employer and say, I've got a shielding letter here. Um, and the employer says, do you want to carry on working? And it's your risk. Yes or no. If it's no, you get furlough. In that way, you end up with a very small amount of money wasted on furlough. Whereas what have you got? And you don't really realise this. We've been paying £14 billion a month into furlough for people to produce nothing. And then Boris stands up and he goes, uh, we're going to build back Britain better. We want infrastructure spending and we want this and we want this. And you say, how much money have you allocated to this? And he says, a billion pounds. And you, what, a billion pounds a year? And he goes, no, over the next 10 years. We're putting £14 billion a month into furlough and they're talking about build back better by spending a billion pounds most of which has been allocated high speed rail network um and uh, you know it's we do need people just to listen and ask questions i mean one of the questions that i keep asking on twitter and it does sort of get quite a lot of traction is if you read the deaths every day from covid uh, and they say within 28 days uh, but if you read that line, it says deaths for any reason in the last 28 days. And you cannot get the BBC to say for any reason because people will go, what does this mean for any reason? And then you go, well, these are people who just tested positive. They didn't actually die of COVID, but we record them as COVID deaths because that doesn't frighten you as much when sort of 
to whatever percent is survived COVID without any problem. I think I put a tweet on today and I said uh, um, something about the long COVID syndrome uh, because they're all talking about it today to keep us frightened. Um, uh, with the long COVID syn syndrome, is it the same symptoms as long lockdown syndrome? Because uh, I'm sure people in lockdown have all these symptoms that uh, they say, no, they're long COVID symptoms and I'm sure they're not, they're long lockdown. I won't carry on. That's another, another time I'll do that one. All right. Thank you very much, John. Um, I hope everybody found this very entertaining and educational. I did. <laughs> I always like learning new stuff. Um, I'd like to thank you all for coming this week. Our next session is April the 15th, and I'll be sending out invites, um, assuming I don't forget. Sorry, is it, where is Adam? Is he gone? Sorry, Adam, if I, I forgot your invite. <laughs> oh, no, there you are. <laughs> um, you're on the list now, so don't worry. So I'll be sending out the invites for the next one. Um, if there's any questions that you've liked to ask but forgotten, send them to me via email and I'll get them to John and uh, maybe he'll send an email back with an answer. Yeah, we'll do. And thank I'll send you very much. I'll send you the slides over. Thank you, everybody. Enjoyed talking. Yes, thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.